0: Welcome to the CRE Exchange Podcast, where we deep dive into the global trends and challenges of CRE professionals across all sectors of the commercial real estate industry. We engage with experts in the space to bring you innovative insights into industry practices, opportunities, and challenges to better inform your decisions. This episode is brought to you by Altus Group, a global leader in asset and fund intelligence for commercial real estate.
1: Welcome everyone to another exciting episode of CRE Exchange. I'm Cole Perry, your host and Senior Market Analyst here at Altus Group, a leading provider of asset and fund level intelligence. I'm joined by Omar el our US Director of Research. Together, we'll share the latest news and trends in the commercial real estate market. Omar, it's good to be with you. Glad to be here. And Cole, what caught your attention this week? There was one big indicator I was paying attention to this week, and that was the uh, NFIB or the National Federation of Independent Business Small Business Optimism Index, something we mentioned uh, a few weeks ago on the podcast, but uh, the NFIB more or less represents firms of less than 50 employees. And by my calculation, that's about 45 to 50% of total U.S. workers. And so this survey is 10 questions and it gauges... Those firms' opinions, rather the owners of those firms' opinions about their plans, their expectations, what trends they're looking at. And there were a couple of things that stood out um, when you break out the components here. So 40% of small business owners reported that jobs were hard to fill. A net negative 14% of owners expected sales to be higher in the next six months. And a net negative 37% of owners expected business conditions overall to be better within the six months. So relatively bleak outlook. So the index overall was down 0.6 points in August to 91. And that was only slightly higher than it was in May of 2020. So kind of a bleak outlook here for small business. So to underline this, if you're not planning to grow your inventory, you're not planning to grow employment, You would presumably not be willing to grow your real estate footprint, if I were to look at this a little deeper. I know you were looking at some stuff this week. We had uh, CPI and PPI. What was interesting to you there?
2: Yeah, we had both of the prints, CPI and PPI, come out last week. And I think they continue to be a focal point or something that the market is watching very closely, largely because they know that the Fed and central bankers are watching this closely. On CPI, so the Consumer Price Index, while it had bottomed in June of this year at around 3%, a year-on-year growth from the prior year, it has really since ticked up over the last two months, so that's for July and August. The latest numbers, which were reflecting August and were released on the 13th of September, showed that CPI was up 3.7% year-on-year, or 63 basis points over the prior month. Now, this is a notable uptick because it's moving in the wrong direction, I would say, and still is moving higher than I think market participants want to see in terms of progress that the Fed would be looking at. But this was also driven mostly by food and energy prices. So when you're looking at the core measure of CPI, which removes food and energy, this is still trending down from the September 2020. 22 highs of 6.6%. So the August read for the core CPI was 4.4% in August. And this is again on a year-on-year basis. Looking at PPI or the producer price index, this also increased in August. The PPI numbers released last week showed that PPI final demand was up 1.6% on a year-on-year basis, well below the 11.6% clocked in March of 2022. But this is, again, the second consecutive month of year-on-year increases. And also, similar to the CPI numbers, the most recent uptick was driven by energy prices. I thought it was notable that if you just looking at energy within the PPI data, this was up 10.5% on a month-on-month basis, which is the largest increase month-on-month in more than a decade. And I know that you were looking at a number of other macro indicators and releases. What caught your eye?
1: Yeah, again, this is a pretty big week for some of the stuff we typically track. And I was looking at advanced retail sales. So this is a census indicator seasonally adjusted, and this is in dollars. So they were retail sales were up 0.6% month on month and 2.5% year on year. But interestingly, they were slightly outpaced by inflation. So inflation adjusted advanced retail sales, also seasonally adjusted were down nine of the last 10 months. So interesting to take a look at here through the lens of inflation. And so That was interesting to me because grocery did end up climbing quite a bit, 2.1% year over year, and this overall still exceeded expectations. So upon retail sales news, the Dow, NASDAQ, and S&P all gained, but still probably interesting that it was nearly identical to the revised July totals. So relatively flat, all things considering, but still outperformed expectations. I was also looking at business inventories, and so they unexpectedly remained unchanged for the third straight month. So under the surface, manufacturing and retail inventories crept up a little bit, but wholesale inventories crept down a little. So overall did not change much. And some big parts of the economy are running light on inventory, largely because they were expecting a recession. And you put these two together and the ratio of inventory to sales, which also came out last week, was 1.4 from 1.39. Interesting there. I think this shows really the disconnect between what folks were thinking versus what's actually been happening with sales. So something I've been keeping an eye out and that really will have downstream impacts for the industrial sector.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And inventory to sales ratio is a closely watched ratio because... One, you want to see that there are healthy inventories because the inventory management does show to some degree what companies are expecting to sell in the coming quarters. But at the same time, a rapidly growing inventory to sales ratio shows that inventories, when they stack up, that maybe they're not moving as much product out the door as they were anticipating. And I know that with the supply chain disruptions that we had coming out of pandemic lockdowns, that was something that you really did see that that ratio crater, right. so but he, now, yeah.
1: Huge onshoring throughout the pandemic as people were fearful of these supply chain disruptions.
2: Yeah, and also last week, one thing that touched on our last call that I was looking forward to and I did tune in for was the Lennar earnings call. Lennar is one of the largest home builders in the U.S., And it's publicly traded and they are a little bit off cycle in terms of their reporting. So they reported their third quarter earnings for the period ending August of this year. And overall it was a beat, but on the call, there were a number of notable call outs or insights that the management team shared that really captured the home building and home sales market conditions now. So in addition to discussing their company operations and results, the management team discussed the broader home environment, right? The home sales and a number of their expectations for the market over the coming quarters. A few things that I noted on the call were they're calling out to the strong consumer position. So having experienced positive earnings growth and remaining confident in their employment situation, the management team noted that the American consumer or would-be buyers are still very much in the market, but they have adjusted their expectations to really include the higher cost of housing and has reset their expectations that housing costs will be elevated for the foreseeable future. They also noted on the call that at least in the single family market, supply has been constrained, and the management team noted that they believe that going forward, The new supply of homes will be constrained as developed land is scarce and increasingly more expensive to develop. The company in its third quarter experienced sales prices higher than in their second quarter, but they also had to use a greater degree and higher incentives to get these homes sold. So these incentives were in the form of, you can think about them as adjustments or concessions whether that is via reduced closing costs, mortgage rate buy downs, and overall the home pricing, which largely work in the benefit of the buyers, but help close the deal. And the final note that I would make or that I took on the call was that it's specific to the multifamily market. On the call, they noted that following two years of more than 500,000 apartment units starts, they are starting to see rents moderate across most markets. And in some markets, they're starting to see excess supply emerge. Now, their comments on the multifamily rent going forward was that they are expecting rents to really move sideways, right? They don't expect to see the gains that we've seen really over the last couple of years or the rental growth that we've seen over the last couple of years. But at the same time, many markets are tight enough to avoid any sort of like rapid declines. So I
1: thought that was notable. Yeah, definitely. I think we've been talking about this too, as financing becomes more difficult for single family homes and that demand gets channeled right back into this enormous oncoming supply of multifamily, they level out. So I'm not surprised to see that. And we've seen, we've heard that you
2: brought it up uh, a couple of weeks back, but we've also seen that reflected in the Beige Book commentary, as well as we're hearing it across different industry events around the supply being quite constrained, and that's offsetting this dramatic increase in cost of home buying, but that there is still this
1: demand. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of some of those industry events, I know that the research team went to one last week, and you actually were on a panel. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Sure. It was a BizNow National Finance Conference
2: that was hosted here in New York. It was a great event. I was really happy to participate on a panel that was focused on regional banks, hosted by Scott Singer from Avison Young. And overall, it was a great event, met a lot of fantastic operators, as well as, I would say, just professionals across the CRE spectrum, and discussed what we viewed as the implications of some of the banking woes experienced earlier this year, and the role that many non-bank lenders are already stepping in and filling the gaps that they're filling currently, as well as over the coming quarters. So overall, that was a great event. And also looking forward to next week's CrefC event here in New York again, and hope that if any of the listeners are attending that you'll find either Cole or myself and say hi.
1: Yeah, definitely. So uh, I'm looking out for that next week, but like always, there's a lot of things we'll be looking at between now and then. So Omar, what are you looking at for this week? Yeah, so
2: I'll start somewhat small or smaller, right? KB Home is another large home builder that they are reporting earnings this week on Wednesday. By the time this podcast comes live, this will have just happened, but I'll be tuning in to hear about additional comments and views on the housing market. And then following last week's ECB rate hike decision, where they rose rates by 25 basis points to a record high of 4%, this week is chock full of central bank policy decisions. So we have the BOE and BOJ have rate decisions on Thursday, but then I'm sure everybody's tuned in and going to be paying attention to the Fed's rate decision that will have happened on Wednesday. Currently, the CME FedWatch tool, which shows the futures market, is expecting a 99% probability of no rate hike. By the time that you're listening to the podcast, hopefully market participants were well aligned with the Fed actions. And Cole, what
1: are you watching this week? I'm watching three specific indicators about the housing market, something we've rehashed a couple of times on the podcast before, but we've got housing starts, building permits, and then existing home sales. So all three of those, by the time we record next, I think we'll be seeing some interesting stuff about where the housing market is headed. But then we've got a few earnings calls this week. I'll be paying attention to some kind of outstanding retailers and third-party logistics providers. So we've got AutoZone this week, that's tomorrow. Really interesting business. I think particularly because this is a business that is perceived to be able to weather the storm of recessions. Why? Well, the demand for car parts runs inversely sometimes with demand for new cars. So this might be a leading indicator of where the consumer is headed, because if they're searching for parts and not just new vehicles altogether, it might be an indicator that they're really crunched. The other is FedEx. I think this is interesting, to memphis Memphis-based companies, my hometown. So FedEx reports the day after that on the 20th. So by the time we speak next, we'll hear a little bit about them. And so I'm interested mostly in this from an industrial real estate perspective, the effect of the collapse of a fellow large third-party logistics provider, Yellow. It should be interesting to see if that has already trickled down into the performance of, say, FedEx and UPS and other large third-party logistics providers. And the last one I'm interested is Darden Restaurants. So this is a big chain restaurant group. Owning, among other things, Olive Garden and now Ruskris Steakhouse, a whole array of restaurants. Now, I'm mostly interested in this for a couple of reasons, but one of them was there was a big story, a study that came out not too long ago from some Harvard and Naval postgraduate researchers that alleged that affordable chain restaurants, like those the Darden owns, are among the most socioeconomically diverse places left in America. If we see how Darden is performing, I think you'll get an idea of how consumers writ large are doing in the United States, because if demand for affordable chain restaurants decreases among certain sectors of the population or all of them should be really interesting indicator of how the consumer is doing and really how the demand for specific types of retail real estate is doing, because you can find these places anywhere, even here in New York. So Those are some things I'm looking out for, but I'll be really excited to report back about AutoZone, FedEx, and Darden for next week about how the economy is doing. But Omar, I think that's all the time that we've got. I want to thank you for joining me today, and I'll see you again next week.
0: Thank you for listening to the CRE Exchange Podcast, powered by Altus Group. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review and be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. This episode is brought to you by Altus Group, a global leader in asset and fund intelligence for commercial real estate. At Altus, we bring together capabilities across technology, analytics, valuations, tax, and development advisory services. We are guided by bold thinking, integrity, and inclusivity, partnering with CRE professionals to maximize opportunities with exceptional service experience. Find out more at altusgroup.com.